If you're an impact investor and believe in the power of patient capital to change lives, build communities, and create a more inclusive economy, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the best podcast, short for Black Entrepreneurs Survive and Thrive, where we share the impact of patient capital when combined with the grit, resilience, and determination of Black entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, founder and CEO of Ironbound Boxing and Ironbound Media, both based in Newark, New Jersey, where I have a passion for all things social impact, economic development, and community empowerment. On the following episode of The Best Podcast, I sat down with Mitchell Green, who's leading our ground efforts with the New Jersey Best Fund, which includes identifying, screening, and working with Black entrepreneurs to get them access to patient capital through our partners. Mitchell has a strong background in urban entrepreneurship and economic development. He served as an underwriter for loans to Black small businesses, set up multiple entrepreneurial training programs and institutes, and has over 20 years experience working with Black entrepreneurs to improve their business acumen. Mitchell and I discussed the resilience of Black entrepreneurs involved in the BEST project, the criteria for determining which entrepreneurs get funding, and why it's important for lenders to be more receptive to the plight and challenges faced by Black entrepreneurs. This is an enlightening episode that pulls back the curtain on the New Jersey BEST program and how we're practicing what we preach. Before you hear from Mitchell and I, make sure you subscribe to the BEST podcast newsletter at the link in the show notes. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening service you're using today. We greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this podcast with someone in your network who you feel can benefit from hearing these inspiring and uplifting stories of Black entrepreneurs. We appreciate you for tuning in with us today and hope you enjoy the following episode. Mitchell, welcome to the best podcast. How's it going today? <laughs> Mike, it's, it's going okay. Today, today's a good day. Today's a good day. I'm excited to have you on here, um, mainly for your background in lending and executing uh, the strategy we have with the best fund, and also give us some insights into all the, the types of entrepreneurs that you've been able to work with. Sure. My, my background, I did community development, small business lending, commercial lending for a good part of 17, 18 years. A lot of the work that I did was in Newark and northern New Jersey. Worked with borrowers from all backgrounds, but I developed a particular affinity with working with Black-owned businesses that I've carried over into providing technical assistance as a consultant for Black-owned businesses in New York and New Jersey. Yeah, I like to call Newark, uh, not in a negative way, but the trenches. It's the grassroots level. So I'm sure you bring a wealth of knowledge on the challenges that these uh, entrepreneurs face. And one of the things I want to ask you right off the bat is, you know, the last 18 months have been very challenging for entrepreneurs, particularly Black-owned business owners. And so when you think of resilience, you know, what kind of resilience have you seen from the entrepreneurs that you've worked with and best so far? It's been interesting, Mike. One of the probably the most rewarding aspect of this experience has been the resilience displayed by almost all of the business owners that have been involved in the project. They were encountered with something that I don't think any of us could have 
possibly anticipated and the manner in which they regrouped, recalculated, tightened their belts, in some cases moved forward. They showed a lot of creativity, they showed a lot of inventiveness, and they showed an incredible amount of what I call heart. None of the people that I've encountered in this program cried, felt sorry for themselves, complained. Many of them had every reason in the world to do so. I was just really taken aback in a, in a I guess taken aback in a good way, which is a bit of an oxymoron, um, taken aback and really impressed by the heart and toughness and creativity demonstrated by all of these folks. The silver lining of, ad of adversity is that it often forces character to show itself. And so a lot of people found themselves in dire situations. And so the only option was either to lay down or keep moving. And, uh, you know, the entrepreneurs we've identified have chosen to keep moving. And it is important for our listeners to know, I've seen st statistics that came out and said, you know, during March of 2020, you know, 40% of black owned businesses in this country cease generating revenue. And that lasted for upwards six to eight months, maybe longer for some. So for them to even be able to, to still be standing is a testament to that willpower and that resilience that we just talked about. Mike, you're, you're, you're so right. So many of the businesses in the program, there were a couple of businesses that were really just launching. But most of these businesses had been operating five, six, seven years. Many of them had leases and they literally were not able to generate income, some for only a couple of months, some were assisted by PPP loans and grants and the like. But there were there are a number of businesses that really were just able to start rolling after about four or five months. But most impressive was they were in a position to start rolling again after four or five months. Uh, I kind of look at it like someone who works every day, has a job, and I'm not saying this in a disparaging way, losing their job unexpectedly and not having savings to support themselves until they get another job. Many people do, but many people don't. And those that don't, it creates havoc on their lives and impacts their family. The people that are, are in business, it's even more so. Not only do they have to worry about supporting themselves and their family, but they had to worry about making sure their employees were able to support themselves and their families. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. I've always said, I hear everybody throwing the word around entrepreneur, but I said, unless you know you got to have X amount of dollars in the bank for payroll at a certain point, because you have people counting on that money and who have worked for it, you don't really know what pressure is. And that's a different kind of pressure. And that's what most of these entrepreneurs were confronted with. And they, they dealt with it. 
Talk to us real briefly about how you were brought in to BEST, and then we're going to dive into how we've actually been executing, uh, working with the entrepreneurs we've identified and, you know, um, the criteria that you've you've chosen to decide whether or not they get funding. It's it's kind of interesting. I I didn't know anything about the NJ Best program until I was contacted by Jasmine. No, I'm sorry, Lanier and Jasmine um, from Rutgers, and they they asked if I'd have any interest in being involved in it. I was really excited because so much of what they wanted me to do has been the type of thing that I've been doing professionally for so long. And I thought it was a very, very interesting concept. I felt it was a very much needed concept, but being it being a pilot project, I realized I had to bring something more to it than just the skills that I've used in the past. By that, I mean, I had to figure out strategies that worked to help position all of the participants to get accomplished what they wanted to get accomplished financially. Each and every business is different. Each and every individual is different. So what might work for Mike might not work for Mitch. And this situation was no different. I was charged with interviewing applicants and making a determination as to whether they would be a good fit for the program. And I based my decision on a number of different things, but one of them was, okay, how are you handling the pandemic? How did the pandemic impact you? How will this capital help you move past the pandemic or move forward as a business or keep sustaining the business? How will will this funding help you grow your business? And you get a lot of different answers and which is a good thing, but I had to put some subjectivity on the table because the bottom line is, okay, if this person gets this money, Will they repay it? And quite candidly, there were a number of people who applied that I knew pretty quickly. They they had no they had no interest in repaying any money. And even if they said they did, they couldn't establish the basis for doing so. So they were off the table. Some of the people I knew from dealings with them in the Rutgers EPI program, the Entrepreneur Pioneers Initiative. And I'd seen their growth as a business over the last four or five years. I'd seen them implement things that they said they were going to do. I've seen them make changes that they had to make for reasons that were unforeseen. And I said, they got the character to make this work. Not only will they repay, but they will help build this and they will help bring along entrepreneurs who are going embarking on the road that they've been on for a number of years. And I lean to admitting people into the program that I felt that way about. 
given your background in lending, you've had a track record of people being able to pay back loans. And one of the things with best we've been making the argument for is the need for patient capital. You know, so this isn't a handout. This is a loans that we're able to give out with extremely zero to no interest. I mean, uh, little to no interest with the intent of them being able to use these funding as like a bridge to get to the next level and be able to pay it back. So what are the characteristics of successful black entrepreneurs you've worked with in the past that have been able to pay back these types of loans? <laughs> that's, 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 that, man, that's, that's, that's a heck of a, <laughs> that's a heck of a question. Um, it's a great one. It's a great one. And my answer may be different than, than some others, but the characteristics that I've encountered are the characteristics of successful people. And success is measured by different things, me measure, measured on different terms, <laughs> and it's different in the eyes of the beholder. But for the most part, people said, I'm going to give back to those who helped me move forward. They're people that work hard. They don't talk. They don't complain. They're creative. When they need help, they ask for it. They're not married to their own ideas, but they have the courage to make a decision and then to abide by it. And probably most importantly, if things get a little tight, it's, listen, I'm not in a position to repay the money this month. This is why, this is when I can repay it. Saying all that to say, they're honest. And, that's still a very valuable commodity. That's still a very valuable commodity, a very, very valuable character trait. So black entrepreneurs of character, essentially. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And yes, they are in spite, in spite of a lot of, in spite of a lot of the narrative that's out here, there are countless, countless, countless black entrepreneurs with those characteristics. Now you've had the big, the most touch points with the portfolio of companies that we're looking at funding. Can you give us an overview of some of the type of industries and you know, what you've seen, the kind of the, the entrepreneurs you've been working with? You know, I got, I got, and I don't have, I don't have my cheat sheet handy. Um, small businesses, no middle, no mid, no mid-sized businesses. Most of them are in growth growth mode. There are some solopreneurs that have some potential. I'm not sure how soon that potential will be realized, but they have it. Most of the businesses are service providers as opposed to retailers. And They've been in business, I'm going to say on the average, four to seven, eight years in this particular group of, of entrepreneurs. 
So how were we able to identify which entrepreneurs um, would be a good fit for best? Or did they self-identify? I would say they self-identified. There were applications were submitted online. Um, I'm still a little foggy on... Folks found out about the program through different ways. There was some circulation on social media. Folks had gotten a directive from, from Rutgers EPI. And there were a number of people who applied. There were a series of questions that, that they were asked, gross revenues over X period of time, how many employees, whether they'd be interested in, in having an advisory board. If you were funded in an amount between fifty dollars to $100,000, how would you repay it? And most of the answers were, were succinct and cursory, the way the the way the uh, application was formatted, which was fine. I would conduct a preliminary interview with them. And I, I began to realize as I interviewed folks that some had applied for different reasons and they were drawn to the program for different things. Some were under the impression that it was a, a grant program as opposed to a debt program. And as a result, when they were advised that, no, these aren't grants, these are loans, they, they had no interest, which was understandable. But many of them said, Mitch, listen, I, I, I had to say up front to them, there's no guarantee of any funding, but I will work with you to prepare you for funding. And we're going to have to take this walk in faith. And most of them, most of them, I'm going to say, except for maybe two people said, listen, I'm willing to take that walk. Um, what do I need to do? And we took, we've taken it from there, Mike. Talk to us about that walk. How do we prepare these black businesses to receive that kind of capital? The best thing to do, the best thing I can do is, all right, tell me your story. How did you get here? Why did you come? I'm not talking about the program. I'm talking about as an entrepreneur. Who do you sell to? What do you sell? Why do you sell it? How do you sell it? What challenges do you face as a business? What challenges do you face as an individual that may impede your ability to grow as a business? What do you want to do with this business? Where do you see yourself in three years? Where do you see yourself, let me back up, one year, three years, five years? And you see what their answers are. You go back to challenges again. You go back to, then you talk, start talking about what are your needs? What's the best way for you to get them fulfilled? And the answers are often different, but more times than not, they come back to a couple of things. I'm wearing too many hats and the money that I'm making in this business I have to use to keep making money and I don't have enough money to invest in the business at the level I know I need to at this point, whether it be in terms of personnel, 
whether it be in terms of equipment, whether it be in terms of space. I just can't pull out enough money to do that. I tried to get a loan and I was turned down. We discussed the reasons why the, why the, the, the business was turned down for a loan. And if those are things that I think I can help them address, I embark on that path with them. Sometimes it requires, listen, this is, you're saying you need this, but how do you know you need this much? And how do you know you can repay it? And force them to go through the analysis of, is borrowing this money worth what I'm going to have to pay for it? And many times people will say, you know what? I don't need $50,000. Thanks for showing me that. How much do you think I should borrow? I said, well, let's talk about what you want to do with it. And you just go through that process with them. And many business people, they've done that enough that it's second nature. It's intuitive. They know when to take on debt. They, they know when not to. But for early stage entrepreneurs, they don't, they don't know the answer to that. And they've never been through that process. And that's a big process to go through. Uh, a, a big process to learn how to go through. So a lot of times it's just that. A lot of times it's just saying, hey, you don't need more money. You just need to break off enough of your earnings to bring on somebody for 10, 12 hours a week to sit in, in sit and answer your phone and take down business leads for you. And I'm I'm talking like they don't know any folks don't know anything because Many times they know that, but they don't know how they can do that. They don't know where the options are for them to go get capital. They, a lot of times it's me just getting them pointed in the right direction and going from there. Hearing you talk, and I think this is important for all of our listeners to understand, patient capital is more than just giving people money, right? Yes. Yes. You've yes, got to educate yes. them. You've got to support them. And especially when you talk about the marginalized or under-resourced groups that we're targeting with the best fund. And so, you know, I want to shift gears here for a sec, Mitchell, and talk about how important is it for these entrepreneurs to have access to this type of patient capital and how can lenders manage it effectively in the communities that need it the most? Mike. I'm not sure I can give you a succinct answer to that. And again, great question, fair question. I think that there has to be some receptiveness, demonstrated by the entrepreneurs, but I also feel that there has to be some receptiveness on the part of the lenders. I think that lenders have to do a little bit better job of getting to know the business community, the non-traditional business community, getting to know 
the mindset and the markets that so many Black-owned businesses serve, they have to do a better job of doing that. There's a lot of, and I'm going to be careful here, there's a lot of, there are a lot of assumptions being made by folks in the small business space that really aren't valid, but have become truth because they've never really been challenged. And I think that that has created some voids that, no pun, could have been avoided. But again, it's going to require that the entrepreneur understands, listen, I have to have my financial books in order. I have to have a plan. I have to stop looking, thinking short-term and start thinking long-term. I have to stop approaching money as money in, money out, and think about it as money in, money out, and money to grow this business. I have to think about time management. Those, those are things that sometimes have to be taught. Sometimes they have to be learned. Lenders have to understand, listen, most of these businesses started undercapitalized. And many times during the cycle of the business, the business owner is robbing Peter to pay, pay Paul. And that doesn't mean they're a bad business person. It just means that they were never provided with the capital needed at the time when it was needed. But they had the courage to take on the risk and the determination to make a way. And making a way required them to self-sacrifice. That shouldn't be looked at disparagingly, that should be looked at as this is someone that I can help. And I'm not sure the lending community perceives businesses, small businesses, small minority businesses, small Black-owned businesses in that manner. Now, I could be wrong. People may take umbrage at what I say, but I've seen too many good businesses, good business people, not get the capital they needed when they needed it. Making those early mistakes, you know, that a lot of us make as entrepreneurs, right? But it's interesting you referenced this with regard to small business lending, because in the venture community, particularly around tech startups, it's celebrated that entrepreneurs can bootstrap a venture and get some recurring revenue. Because mm -hmm. that tells the investors that, hey, they have, they have what it takes. And so that's what angels and that's what VCs tend to look for. And so we need to also make sure we're looking for the same things and acknowledging the progress it took for someone to start a dance studio in a church basement and build that up into a profitable business over the course of 20 years with virtually zero business acumen to start. And uh, this is a great conversation, Mitch, and I'm excited to keep this going forward on this podcast series. Before we let you out of here, is there any final thoughts or remarks you would like to leave with our listeners today? 
give folks an opportunity. Don't look at their business through your eyes. Also look at their business through their eyes. Think about the jobs that they're going to create for the communities that the businesses they are located in. Think of the impact on the people that they serve and give them some credit for taking on the risk for going places that many people just won't go. Love it. Well, Mitch, thanks again for being part of this program. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Where can people follow you? How can they contact you? Mike, the best way to contact me is by by email. Um, M-I-T-C-H at T-H-E growth, G-R-O-W T-H group, G-R-O-U-P dot consulting. I'll be sure to include that email and a link to your website in the show notes for our listeners. Be sure to do us a favor. If you enjoyed this series, uh, subscribe to Black Entrepreneurs Survive and Thrive on Substacks, our newsletter for this series at the link in the show notes. You can also follow it on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening service you're using today. And we'd greatly appreciate it if you left us a review and shared this podcast with someone in your network who can benefit from hearing these inspiring and uplifting stories. To learn more about the Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development, visit www.business.ruckers.edu slash cued. That's C-U-E-E-D. You can click the link in the show notes. Until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.